I still remember this, being told this in vet school, and then realizing it when I was out in practice, but you can never underestimate the human-animal bond. There's a wide range of affections or feelings that people have for their pets. You're listening to Paws, Claws, Wet Noses, the vet podcast celebrating all creatures, great and small, and the fantabulous professionals who look after them all. Paws, Claws, Wet Noses is powered by VetStaff, the leading veterinary recruitment agency helping vets and vet nurses find jobs in clinics where they're excited about going to work on Monday mornings. VetStaff.co.nz Welcome to episode 104 of Paws, Claws, Wet Noses. I'm your show host, Julie South. Today is the second in the two-part series where Massey University's Professor John Munday talks about one of those amazing, serendipitous, non-scientific events that can lead to groundbreaking, very scientific research. If you haven't listened to the first episode, as always, I recommend you do that to give you a much better understanding of today's show. I'll put the link to that on the episode page of this 104 at vetstaff.co.nz. Just scroll all the way to the bottom of the homepage to see the latest podcast episodes. Stay tuned to the end because after Professor Monday, I'll announce the most loved up vet nurse teams in vet staff's recent Love Your Vet Nurse competition we ran in recognition of Vet Nurse Awareness Week 2022. Now let's pick up the conversation with Professor John Monday of Massey University where he continues sharing the early stages of his world first research into cancer in cats and dogs. The next step for you is with this project is what? Seeing whether you can combine all five medications into one that cats and dogs like taking. The five, instead of being five doly daily doses five (laughs) daily doses it will be one one dose that the cat or the dog regards as a treat yep absolutely and and that is that is the hope yeah how how close are you to that i'm not very close at all for for the next the next stage what are your plans for funding to move forward that is a really good question and this is something that uh, we're really working through uh, trying to work through at the moment. And unfortunately, when it comes to, you know, sort of almost public good uh, companion animal research in New Zealand, uh, there aren't a whole lot of options. There is Healthy Pets New Zealand. They are very good at sponsoring this sort of research, but they have a, a limited budget. They rely on donations, and so they have a, a limited budget. I should say that we don't plan to develop this as a, a profit-making thing, and so we don't really want to go to one of the drug companies and try and get them to, to fund it. Then we're thinking about where else can we get money from. I went down and talked to the people at the GMRI, and interestingly, they are completely funded by donations, so public donations. The other way that we're considering trying to take this forward is seeing if we can get public donations to support this. The idea is maybe we'll set up a a GoFundMe page type idea 
Uh, hopefully, Duff can support us with that. When we first started off the project, the newspaper came and interviewed us, and they were very useful in recruiting cases. We had a lot of interest in it. Uh, potentially, uh, we could try and, now that we've got the first part of the study out of the way and completed, maybe we could go to the paper and say, look at these amazing results. We need money to take it forward and see if we can get some public support that way. It is hard, and it is the people that are involved in the, the project, none of us really have any real expertise in how we would develop medications into a, a once-a-day palatable uh, sort of product that we can we can use. So we will have to go and, and talk to some other people and find out how easy and, and hard that's going to be and, and figure out how much it's going to cost. So that that's where we're at the moment, the next stage. Your decision not to go commercial, is that a philosophical is that is that heart based? How did that it is, come about? It is well, and never say never. Yes, it is philosophical, and that you know this is an idea which I think could have a lot of public good. I, I would feel uncomfortable about making a profit off something like that. However, there is also the practical considerations that at the moment, I don't think we have enough evidence for a drug company to really want to support this. And there's also the very practical consideration, the GMRI own all the patents for this sort of stuff. And so even if I wanted to, then I, I, I wouldn't make any money off it anyway. It's probably easy to be philosophically <laughs> doing public good when you have no opportunity to do it commercially anyway. So yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask that question because because I'm sure there would have been listeners who why don't they why why did he just say that? And eventually I'm sure it will be if it if it works out well, then we will have to at least well, we will probably my idea eventually is that this this would be released commercially, but the profits would then be used to do further animal research or, or something like that. And and that is the model that GMRI use, that they have those patents. They hope to make money off those patents, but then they would plough all that money back into, into research to try and do public good, to try and cure cancer. And, and we'd be looking at the same way. You know, it's not like I expect to make a fortune and retire on it from this. I can assure you of that. <laughs> I have so enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. I can imagine that you've got, well, I would find this really interesting, lots of people that want to get involved in research. On this particular project, how did you source your team and who are they? Like I said, it all started off with uh, Sui coming up and talking at Massey. And from there, I talked to one of my colleagues in the Path Department here in the School of Veterinary Science, Massey University, Dr. Karen Dittmer, and we talked it through and we thought, well, this is something that we're both interested in. And so from there, we then talked to some colleagues in the Massey University Veterinary Teaching Hospital, uh, especially uh, Thomas Odom and our new, shiny new, uh, fantastic uh, oncologist, Sarah Wetzel, uh, and they were both uh, really interested 
uh, as well. And so that is that is really the core of our team. So the four of us, uh, so two pathologists who you know, have a, a real interest in cancer and then uh, two uh, fantastic clinicians uh, who help us a lot. And it is essential that we have that clinical input as well because you know, although I was in practice for a while, that was a, a while ago. Uh, and so you know, I'm really dependent on Dr. Odom to to examine the cats properly and to, to take the blood and, and to really do that that really clinical stuff. And I should say, you know, acknowledgements to to both those clinicians, you know, especially as this was when we were coming out of COVID, the clinic was super busy. There was many challenges uh, and they they helped us through and they did a, a great job. Uh, and also thanks to the the hospital for letting us see the the patients and be involved in the study. So Massey and the, the teaching hospital have been very supportive of the study. Also, we had some vets who were very involved as well. The way that we initially planned on the study was that people would bring all their, their animals to the Massey University Veterinary Teaching Hospital. Most of them did, uh, but we had a couple where the vets were so enthusiastic about the project that they would actually do the examinations and take the blood at low cost. They would they were that keen to be in, involved in the, the project. And and like I said, the clients that have been involved have just been amazing. You know, just yeah, you know, was and I still remember this being told this in vet school and then realizing as it when I was out in practice, but you can never underestimate the human animal bond. There's a wide range of affections or feelings that people have for their pets, but you can never underestimate how much people treasure their pets. And some of these clients, you know, it was just, I was really heartened, you know, it really inspired me just watching them and, and the care and, and love that they had for their animals and and also their their enthusiasm to, you know, not only look at, you know, put themselves out. I mean, like I said, for my cats, they were giving the medication once five medications once a day. And I've actually still got somebody who's on the study, still involved with their cat about a, a year later. And so they have been giving their cat five medications a day for almost a year. And, you know, they do it because they love that cat, but also they do it because they want to improve the general health of, of cats and dogs in New Zealand. You know, they are, they are the real stars of the show. You know, these clients that are putting that effort in are really the ones that help this, that, that really enable this project to go ahead. That's over 1,500 applications. That's a lot, isn't it? That is a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, and that is that is the level of motivation that the the level of, of dedication that this person has, and it's it's amazing. It's it's you know real real, like I said, humbling or heartening sort of um, effort that this person's done. And yeah, we couldn't and and we couldn't have done it without the clients and the amount of effort that they that they put in. Yeah, and they're still putting in. The it's interesting that well, I guess not surprising that. You talk about the human-animal bond. On episode 100, Dr. Francesca Brown of Otago Polytech was sharing research that she's done from a completely different angle. And one of the things that she talked about was the importance of the human-animal bond with especially companion animals. And mm. even, she said, even it extended to working working dogs as well. But that front, well, all clinicians, all veterinary professionals, regardless of the position that they have inside 
a clinic. It could be the account. This is me paraphrasing now. They they could be the accountant, but we absolutely have to respect and get that that bond is critical. Mm. Absolutely. And we can never forget that. We can never forget that. And right? it can't be just another day in the office. Absolutely, yeah. And talking about other days in the office, what does a typical day look like for you? So, yes, yeah, so I'm, an, I'm an academic here at Massey. And so I have my job. I officially have three components of my job. Approximately a third of my time I spend teaching. I teach into the pathology course that um, the third and the fourth year veterinary students get. Pathology is all about, obviously, it's the most important subject that they ever get in vet school. And it's, it's all about <laughs> all about how disease develops. And if you understand how disease develops well enough, you'll understand how to treat it and what that disease is going to do. Um, I tell them all about cancer and, and how cancer develops and, and how it causes disease. And I also do skin disease and I also do the cardiovascular system as well. And so those are my lectures. We also do, I teach into the clinical roster, the clinical rotation that the veterinary students do. That involves in fifth year, we they do the, the necropsy or the post-mortem service. So Massey has a post-mortem service where if an animal dies, uh, and you want to know why it died, then we can do a post-mortem or an autopsy, you know, exactly like a, a human pathologist would do, try and figure out why that, that animal dies. At Massey, we do that. We don't do it in a diagnostic way. We do, we're not a diagnostic lab, but going through that process of figuring out why that cow's died, why that horse has died, why that dog or cat's died is incredibly useful for the students and their education, I think. I think it's one of the, the, the most important things that, that we do. You know, if you can understand, and it's so valuable because it's, you know, we talk about what are the clinical symptoms that the animal had before it died, and then we think about what are some things that could have uh, resulted in the death of the animal, and then we can do that that dissection, that gross postmortem, and figure out what's going on. And, and I think that's a, a really uh, useful thing that we we do for the, the students. So I do that in, for the, the fifth-year students. That's my teaching. Uh, and then a third of my time is, is research. And so working on projects like this, um, like I said, I also have an interest in infectious disease and cancer. And so a bit of time... You know, looking for, for those uh, in the lab, looking for viruses and bacteria and all sorts of things. I have my postgraduate students that I help. And so I have a couple of postgraduate students uh, doing PhDs, helping them along. Uh, and then a third of my time is what's known as service. At the moment, I am the uh, research director for the School of Veterinary Science, Mass University. So uh, my role there is to help facilitate uh, research being done in the school and also to, to help people in the school uh, with their research goals. And so, so we have a couple of different things that we do there to help people uh, in the school to, to do research, whether that's you know, looking for money, helping writing grants, keeping them on the track, writing things up, getting them past problems that may be roadblocks they might have to their, their research, things like that. Yeah. Here at VetStaff, our goal, our vision is to have veterinary professionals working in jobs where they're excited about Monday mornings. And there gets, I imagine, it happened to me, not as a clinician, obviously, but you, you get to a, a point in your career where you need something more for professional development. And one of the ideas, the suggestions I'm, I'm putting to some vets and nurses is 
research, getting involved in research could be part of your professional development. Is that a good idea? Do you think that's that's something that clinicians could consider to to grow professionally? And Absolutely. if so, how might they do it in clinic? Okay, to ask the first part of your question, absolutely. I mean, I find, um, well, that's the reason I do what I do. Like, I love teaching, don't get me wrong. But yeah, I, I love the research part of it. You know, the, and I always have, you know, the, I don't know whether it's an ego thing, but you know, I love the idea that I know something that nobody else knows. You know, I just, I, I get a real kick out of that, you know, that there's so few things in life now that you can sort of discover for the first time. And, and I, I, I don't know, I just get a kick out of that for when it comes to research, you know, as well as the, you know, increasing knowledge, you know, the, the trying, to, trying to make things better. You know, it is, it is an opportunity for that. For the second part, yeah, research in, in clinics, we, it is time consuming. You know, I, I would totally recommend it because I think it would be stimulating. However, it is difficult. You know, research is, especially clinical research is, is quite hard. Doing observational things, doing, you know, trying different treatments to see what works. Absolutely. You know, you, you can do that. But my advice is talk to somebody at a university before you start, because, you know, I've been doing research for 20 years and I still make a whole lot of blunders, which you get to the end and you try and publish it and you go, oh, no, I wish I'd thought of that at the start. You know, I wish I'd done that to start with. There are some pitfalls which we have to be avoided. And I would always suggest that if you are looking at doing some clinical research, I think it's a great idea. I think it will add something to your job. But yeah, I would also strongly suggest having a collaborator at a at a university to help you along the way. And also, it's nice to have somebody to talk to and to bounce ideas off. And at universities, we, we enjoy that sort of thing. You know, we probably have more experience. We have the ethics committee that we can put things through, which is quite a stumbling block for people in, in private practice, you know. Yes, do it. If you've got a great idea, do it, follow it up. You could make a real difference. But I would suggest you know, just collaborating with with as many people as you can, and especially at somebody you know, with a bit of bit of research experience, because you, I think you will find them valuable. Yeah. Last question, I promise. What do you read? What's on, what's on your read? Do you read? Well, first question, I guess. Do you read? If so, I what read. Are you do I read? Yes, and no, I should. I should go here and I say I read nothing but scientific journals. I get home and I read nothing but scientific. Oh, no, no, no. Then, then there would be not true. Not true. Then there not would even be slightly true. All of these people saying that guy's got no work-life balance. That's so. right. Yeah, he's going to burn out. He's going to flame out yeah. any second. At the moment, I am reading two things. One is I am going through an audiobook. I am a recent convert to audiobooks, I have to admit. I was also I was always used to be very snary of them and, and I would always listen to podcasts. Oh, this is terrible. I have a couple of dogs at home and a couple of cats, I have to admit. I know we seem to have lots of pets at the moment. When I get home I usually take the dogs for a an hour long walk. So they they they, they go for a walk and, and and I always listen to, to podcasts, always used to listen to podcasts. And then I discovered audiobooks. And at the moment, I'm, I'm listening to an audiobook, which is called Guns, Germs, and Steel. And so it's a count. It's very interesting. A count of basically, they've set up this question of why is it 
that you had Europe and the Americas, and Europe was completely dominant. You know, that the people arrived there roughly the same time. Why is it that we have massive amounts of European culture and the poor old Aztecs and Incas got completely wiped out and we North America and South America, you know, that they're not speaking their native languages, you know, that it's it's very European. How did that happen? Uh, basically is that the premise and and it's all about, you know, it's it's fascinating. It's all about agriculture, you know, where did agriculture develop, you know, farming of animals. And then obviously from when we started domesticating animals, then we got all their diseases off them. And because don't want to spoil the surprise for anybody that might read this book, but the in Europe, we had more mammals that could be domesticated. Therefore, we did domesticate them. We then caught the diseases off them. You know, pretty much all the diseases that we get, measles, smallpox, you know, all those, those good ones we caught off our domesticated animals. When we compare that to North America, they didn't have any domesticable mammals there. And so they never really developed that you know, farming of animals. They had less crops that they could uh, domesticate as well. And so when the Europeans came into the Americas, the Spanish came along, they eradicated them pretty much by by diseases, diseases that they caught off their domesticated uh, animals. And of course, the, the conquistadors, the people that were coming in were pretty much immune to them, but the poor old you know, the Aztecs and the Incas and the uh, Native Americans had no resistance. And so just obliterated them, just wiped them out. So that was a very interesting book. The other book that I'm reading, which is the one I'm reading, reading, is called Clara and the Sun. And it's by Kazu. Ishigua, I think his name is. And I'm only reading it because my favorite book in the entire world uh, is Never Let Me Go, which was also written by him. I just love that book. And so I'm, I'm reading another one of his. So there we go. <laughs> so far, it's good. I'm, only, I'm halfway through. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's I, I, I like the way you said the first book I'm reading is an audiobook, and then the second book I'm reading, reading. <laughs> reading, reading. That's right. That's right. Well, it seems like if I'm, if I'm, Walking the Dog's audiobook, it has to be something that's kind of educational, whereas the Clara and the Sun, that's that's all for all for fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I listen to podcasts when educational podcasts when Absolutely, I'm yeah. walking. Yeah. Yeah, you you sort of feel like you have to yeah, do something a bit more. I don't know why. But you want to uh and maybe if you're if you're reading a book for fun, it's better to read it rather than listen to it. I don't know. Whereas if it's something factual. Yeah, if you're just getting, yeah, I think we're the same on that one, yeah. <laughs> I hope you found that interesting. If you would like to know more about how you can get involved, then get in touch with Healthy Pets New Zealand at healthypets.org.nz who will be able to point you in the right direction. If you're a vet or a nurse or a tech wanting to add another dimension to your professional world and are wondering whether undertaking a research project is for you, then get in touch with Professor John Monday at Massey in the first instance or another researcher who can point you in the right direction for you. I mentioned Dr. Francesca Brown's latest research as well when Professor Monday talked about the importance of the human-animal bond. I'll put those links on this page's podcast notes at vetstaff.co.nz. Her research is also very well worth listening to. 
Righty, I promised to announce the two most loved up vet nurse teams in New Zealand. One according to their colleagues and other team members and the other according to their clients. If you've been following the results as we were drip feeding them through each week, you will know that the leaderboard kept changing with the clinic that had the most entries. It was, as I said back then, it was changing sometimes daily, sometimes hourly. Digging deeper into the numbers, though, took a bit of working out. There was a clear winner, a team that was streets ahead of everyone else when it came to asking their clients to participate. That didn't require me to get my calculator out at all. Working out which team as a percentage of total team members' participation took a bit of number crunching. The calculator got a bit of a workout. Let's have a drum roll for the team who worked hard every single day. Congratulations on the most loved up vet nurse team according to their clients. Hamilton Vets in Terrapa Hamilton, congratulations. You did an amazing job with your clients. Congratulations. The clinic with the most loved up vet nurses, according to their team, is Companion Vets from Puketi in Hamilton. Go the wonderful Waikato. Go Hamilton. Go the Tron. Congratulations to Companion Vets from Puketi in Hamilton. To both of these Hamilton teams, we'll be in touch with you to sort out delivery of your loved up vet nurse poster for your clinic. To everyone who entered, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really did have a blast. We'll be announcing the five Lucky Dip lunch winners in next week's show, so remember to tune in for that. Please also remember, if you're a veterinary professional looking to work in New Zealand, the team at vetstaff.co.nz would love to help you find a job where you're excited about turning up for work on Monday mornings. Thank you for spending the last half an hour or so of your life with Professor John and me. We truly appreciate your ears and your time. This is Julie South signing off and inviting you to go out there and be the most fantabulous version of you you can be. Kia kaha, kakiti anō, God bless. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz